this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to mountparent.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. Today in our study of the highlights of Hebrews, we're going to talk about the Supreme Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how the letter of Hebrews begins. It sets forth the preeminence of Jesus. In times past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. The writer of Hebrews sets forth for us the preeminence of Jesus. And he tells us first and foremost that Jesus is God's final answer, his final word, his final message to the world. You know, God reveals himself through creation. God reveals himself through the human conscience. But God revealed himself completely and totally when Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. Now, the writer begins by talking about the Old Testament prophets. He said, in times past, in the past, God spoke to us, to our ancestors, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days. Now, the last days refers to the time when Jesus left this earth and the church began until the second coming of Christ. So we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. But the last days are going to eventually lead to the return of our Savior. He says, well, in the times past, in the Old Testament times, God used prophets in this unique way. But the final prophet, the greatest prophet, and a prophet is one who speaks for God, is the Son of God himself. You see, the Old Testament prophets spoke the Word of God, but Jesus is the Word of God incarnate. That means in the flesh or in a human form, in a body. John tells us in the opening of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with, with, with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, he says that the Word of God, Jesus, became flesh and lived among us, and we saw his glory. So there's no prophecy, there's no revelation that you could ever get that can add anything to the revelation of Jesus in any prophecy you hear or revelation, if it doesn't line up with the person and work of Jesus, isn't true because God has spoken to us in these last days in our generation through his very son. So Jesus becomes the ultimate touchstone of truth. Anything you hear that doesn't line up with who Jesus is and what Jesus taught is wrong. It's off base spiritually. He is the truth. Remember that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God's final message, God's final word, God's final revelation of himself to the world is in Jesus. Now he tells us here some fascinating things about who Jesus is and what makes him superior 
to the prophets and the angels and other religious leaders. First of all, he says he's the son of God. Jesus is called the son of God 49 times in the gospels. That's what makes him unique. More than a prophet, more than a teacher, the very son of God. So he has a unique relationship with the father. He's the only son in that sense. Now, when we accept him as our savior, we become sons and daughters of God, but he had a unique relationship with God as the son of God. He's the only religious leader who could ever claim to be the son of God. Second of all, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the heir of all things, that God appointed him, the heir of all things. What does that mean? Well, he's using kind of the custom of the day, especially in the Jewish families. The oldest son inherited everything. He was the executor of the state. In other words, he's the one who has all the authority. An executor of a state, when it's passed on, is the one who makes the final decisions. And that's what he's saying. He's using that analogy of, of the inheritance that Jesus has been appointed as Lord of all. He's the highest spiritual authority. That's why we say Jesus is Lord. Third of all, he tells us that God made the universe through Jesus. So Jesus' beginnings did not begin in Bethlehem. Now, his humanity did. He came into the world, but the Son of God is eternal. He spoke the worlds into existence. He's the creator of the universe. That's what makes him unique. Everything in this glorious, expansive universe, which is beyond our scientific understanding, Jesus made the universe. He was with God the Father. Then he tells us, fourth of all, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. One of the great moments in Moses' life is when he was on Mount Sinai, received the law of God. Exodus 33, 18, he had one more prayer. Lord, now show me your glory. Moses wanted to see God and really see what God's like. Remember that the Lord kind of put him in the cleft of the rock and he said, I'll cause my goodness to pass by presence of the Lord went by Moses, and I'm sure it was an overwhelming experience, and it said he saw the backside of God as if God was walking away. He caught a little bit of a glimpse, but now God's glory came in Jesus. Moses' prayer was really answered the first Christmas when the Son of God came into this world to save us from our sins. God's glory, God's excellence, the word glory in Hebrew means weight or substance or reality. The reality of God, the character of God, the nature of God is seen in Jesus. It radiates from him. You say, what does that mean to me? Well, think of it like this. Any concept you have of God, and we have some strange concepts and they come from a lot of places. But if that concept of God does not look like Jesus, it's the wrong concept of God. You see God's love and his mercy and his care and his grace Jesus is an example of who God really is. He's the son of God. And that's why he goes on to say he's the exact representation of his being. It's like to stamp a coin. You know, every coin that we have looks just like the next one because that stamp is perfect. So the coin you and I have is an exact representation of the stamp. And so Jesus isn't something like God or close to the resemblance of God. He's the exact representation of his being. Now you can look at identical twins and sometimes they're hard to tell apart, but if you get to know them, there's a variation, they're not exact. But Jesus is the exact representation of God because he's the son of God. Then he goes back to this 
truth that Jesus created the universe. He says something else about the universe. He says that Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. Now we know when he walked this earth, his word was powerful. He calmed the seas when he spoke. Demons just fled out of people when Jesus spoke. Well, he sustains the universe by his word. You know, creating the universe and the origins of the universe according to science dating back 13.8 billion years ago is one thing. Holding it all together is the other thing. In fact, many scientists believe that the universe eventually will implode. It has a point of origin and it continues to expand the way we observe it like a cone. But many scientific theories believe eventually all of that collapses back to the tiny dot. What keeps it all from coming apart? The creator himself and the son of God sustains all things by his powerful word. I want to tell you something. If he can hold the universe together, he can hold you together and hold your family together, hold your life together. And then he tells us something so important about Jesus and why the son of God came into the world. He came to provide purification for sins. I love the word provide. It's a real blessing when somebody provides something for you. And all of us have had our parents or maybe a friend, an employer sometimes, provide something. Maybe we got into a real bind and had a need we couldn't meet. Somebody cared enough about us to provide for us because we didn't have the ability to provide for ourselves. Well, you can provide for yourself for just about everything in this life, but one thing you can't provide for yourself is purification for your sins. Now, you can deny your sins. You can cover up your sins. You can rationalize your sins. You can justify your sins. But you can't purify your sins. Only Jesus can purify you and forgive you. If you come to him in faith, confess your sins, the Bible says, he's faithful and just and will forgive you of all of yours and cleanse you. There's the purification. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And finally, he tells us that when the Son of God came to the world, that after he died on the cross and provided purification for sins, and he rose again, he ascended back to heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that's an, an image, a word picture. It doesn't mean that Jesus literally spends all of eternity sitting in a chair. The right hand of God speaks of the throne of God. That's a, an image in the Bible. It's the sovereignty of God at the right hand, the hand of power. The right hand of God in the Bible represents the power of God. When the Red Sea was parted and Moses sang the song in Exodus 15 and 6, he said, your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has crushed in pieces the enemy. And the sovereign God has his son at his right hand. In other words, Jesus is Lord with all authority. And he emphasizes sitting down at the right hand of God. And we'll look at this more in Hebrews because the Old Testament priest when went into the temple every day to do all their ministry, the one thing that's never in the temple of the Old Testament is a chair. Priests never sat down because their work was never finished. Every day they went through the same rituals. They had offered the sacrifices and performed the ministry for the people. But you see, redemption is complete. Salvation is finished. Nothing else has to be done for the redemption of the world. That's why Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished, it's complete. And so the writer of Hebrews several times will mention Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, he completed the work of redemption through his cross, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. And that's why he guarantees us eternal life. We don't have to work for our salvation. 
He sat down because the work of redemption is complete. So he sets forth there the preeminence of who Jesus is in his very nature, his essence. The Son of God, the eternal sinless Son of God who took on a form like us, a human body. In fact, he says in Hebrews 2 and 14 that he shared our humanity, but he was divine inside the humanity. It is who Jesus is that makes him unique, and it is who Jesus is that is the cornerstone of the whole Christian faith. We believe in Jesus. We don't just follow the teachings of Jesus. We believe in who he is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And so he begins at this point in Hebrews after he introduces him to us in all of his glory. Throughout the book, he explains how Jesus is superior to everything that came before him. So he says here that God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament, but now he's spoken through his son. So Jesus is superior to the Old Testament prophet, and he is superior to anybody that claims to be a prophet today. He goes on in chapter 1, verse 4 and following the rest of the first chapter to tell us that Jesus is superior to the angels of God. And he asks the question, to which of God's angels did he ever say, you are my son? These are created beings. Jesus is the eternal son. In chapter 3, beginning with verse 1 through 6, he explains that Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was the great lawgiver, but he wasn't the savior. He says that Moses was faithful as a servant of God. But Jesus isn't a servant merely. He's the son, and the son is greater than the servant. And then he tells us, fourth of all, beginning with chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, you'll read many references to Aaron, the high priest. He was the older brother of Moses, the first high priest. But he says that Jesus is superior to Aaron as the high priest. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 14, he calls Jesus our great high priest who has passed through the heavens. And some people are taught that they've got to go to a human priest to confess their sins. That's not true. You can come to Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And then he tells us in chapter seven that Jesus has appeared to all those Levitical priests who served in the temple every day for year after year and generation after generation. But they couldn't bring forgiveness of sins. They couldn't bring atonement. They could offer the sacrifices and lead the worship services, which are great, but they're all pointing to the Messiah. But now that the Messiah has come, that priesthood has been fulfilled. It's been, it's been complete. There's no need for a human priesthood anymore because we have a great high priest. He tells us in chapter eight, the entire eight chapter is a beautiful chapter. In fact, it quotes Jeremiah chapter 31, where the prophet Jeremiah talked about the new covenant that God would bring. And that's what Jesus announced the night he went to the cross. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 36, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So in chapter eight, he explains how the old covenant law was temporary. He said it is obsolete and is passing away because the new covenant has now come in Christ. And at the end of that, he says, the promise of God, I'll forgive their sins and remember their wickedness no more. God not only forgives, but he forgets. So the new covenant has completed the old. It has replaced the old. The old is gone, the new has come. Then he tells us that Jesus has appeared to the Old Testament temple, chapter nine. I'm looking forward to that particular teaching when we get there. God gave Moses the design of the tabernacle, which means a meeting place of God, the dwelling place of God in the desert. And then later when they came to Jerusalem, 
Solomon was able to build the first permanent temple and Jesus was in the temple of God, we read about. But everything in the temple pointed to Jesus. His body really was the temple. In fact, he said in John chapter two, destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it again. They thought he was blaspheming against the temple, but the real temple was him. He was the dwelling of God with us. And now the Bible even goes on to say when we receive Jesus as our Savior in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. And temples are beautiful and sanctuaries are beautiful and we need them. But the fact of the matter is we are the living temple of God and God now lives within us, not just in a building. And finally, he tells us in chapter 9 and chapter 10 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the burnt offering, the fellowship offering, the peace offering, there were five major offerings. People would bring those. Those offerings didn't take away sins. They were expressions of praise. They provided meals for people, but they were pointing to the fact that God was gonna atone for their sins through a gift outside of themselves. And all of those sacrifices pointed to the day Jesus died on the cross John the Baptist said of him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Someone recently asked me that statement by John, did that refer to the Old Testament Passover in Egypt? I said, absolutely it does. And all the sacrifices. We don't have to go through sacrifices and rituals. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at mountperrin.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.